This show is a series of conversations amongst really good friends. We come from different generations and have different life situations. And those situations are even changing as we record this. We decided when we began that this might be a helpful conversation for others to be a part of. So we offer this to you as, as a gift. In the words of Dr. Adrian Keene, we have decided to consent to learn in public with you. We intend to be mindful, authentic, and responsible with our words. But we also expect to mess up and learn through this conversation. Take a look at America today. I wish I could give you better news. That I am suspending my campaign. 300 delegates behind Vice President Biden. And all this little deals. And the path toward victory is virtually impossible. For some of these other candidates to get behind Joe Biden. I'm looking forward to getting started as soon as we can. Hello, my name is Ari Karafiel. I use he, him, or they, them pronouns. I'm a just graduated from high school. I am a mixed media artist, and I'm currently on strike. You know, that's where my life is at. That's what I'm doing these days. My name is Addie Domsky. I use pronouns like she and her. I spend my days working with young people in churches, and I have a very intimate relationship with my cat and my bearded dragon. I'm Dan Giles. I'm married to Addy Domsky. Um, That's how you spend your days. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Every day I'm in the same house as Addy Domsky. I'm towards the end of a physics PhD. Sometime that might end. I spend most of my days figuring out what I'm going to do next. I want to explore space and I'm figuring out how I can do that. But also most of my energy goes towards talking with my family about things that we have subtle disagreements on. I want to push them more left. I'm going to do it, slowly but surely. My pronouns are he, him. Hi, I'm Julia. I use she, her pronouns. I am in a bit of, I'm in a bit of a limbo right now. I technically have finished high school, but I haven't graduated and I'm still trying to deal with the high school's administration. I thought I was going to college next year, but now I'm trying to figure out that maybe I'm going to go to Australia instead and plan a life there. For a year. All the identities that I had in high school are just falling away a little bit, but I think I am strengthening my identity as an activist. I've been more involved with legislative and policy movements to like change things, and now I am trying to support the Black Lives Matter movement, which is getting a lot of people fired up. You know what? I would also like to say that I am a white woman. Okay. That's all I have to say on that. Um, <laughs> okay, let's talk about our dilemma. We have to vote for Joe Biden, I'm presuming, and also we're in the middle of a pan- Here's some things going on. We're in the middle of a pandemic. Dan and I live in California, not in Chicago anymore. Some people have just realized that Black Lives Matter is something that they should care about. The temperature of the activist movement has just gotten weird in that lots more white people are in the conversation (laughs) and that is confusing to me how to interact with that so i don't know i mean i guess you're probably wondering why i've gathered you all here except i didn't (laughs) gather this here um i don't want to i'm not going to speak for you julia except julia and i are the same age so i think that's maybe a relevant thing and we go to the same school and church Mm -hmm. we go to the same church and we also go to the same school except i keep saying i've graduated and julia's right that we haven't technically um (laughs) (laughs) um, they haven't let go of us but i turned 18 uh last or like this past school year 
And when I turned 18, Bernie Sanders was still running for president. And the first time that I voted, which was back in March when the pandemic first happened, Bernie Sanders was still running. Now that, well, I get there's a thing of like suspending your campaign is different than not, no longer being on the ballot. But, you know, Mm -hmm. Bernie Sanders is effectively no longer running. We should assume that we are going to be voting for Biden, I think. I think that's the assumption we need to run on and figure out where to go from there. But that's, I think, sort of the reason that I'm I'm here is because, like, I think there's a difference in the assumption that, like, Joe Biden's going to get the nomination, which is different, than, like, we're going to vote for Joe Biden. Because I've sort of been feeling, like, as I've, I think I've really grown up in this situation of being, like, you always vote no matter what, and you always vote blue no matter what, and you, like, sort of that, that voting is this, like, compulsory thing, and I think what this election is really showing for me, and now that I'm actually presented with that choice, is I feel sort of, I don't feel like I have to vote for Biden. Mm-hmm. I'm sort of struggling with that, and so I guess the reason I'm here is because I am, like, struggling with that feeling and want to like maybe process it more Mm. yeah yeah i'm also here because i'm not sure i will probably vote for biden but i'm not committing to do that i'm kind of here to figure out how i how i want to participate in this election so if that means voting and canvassing for a green candidate which my dad has like my dad voted for did not vote for obama he voted for the green candidate and i remember like (laughs) having that conversation like I just remember being like oh that's kind of cool and my mom being like should have you know but and then I learned in in my government class that like our electoral system makes it so that people feel like they have to vote for one of the big tent parties and all that and that's a lot to negotiate as a voter but just I'm trying to figure out if I could should vote for someone who isn't Biden or if I am voting for Biden how much I should support his campaign if I should volunteer for it if I should try to just focus on get out the vote um kind of things Mm -hmm. just what my place is in this election because i there aren't any candidates that i even like a little bit yeah here's why i'm here i'm not here to convince anyone to vote for joe biden other than myself maybe so (laughs) i i um and i think it's important like one thing that i find compelling and one reason why i might want to share this conversation with other people is that you two are entering into this election as 18-year-olds, and Dan and I, I was 18 when Obama ran for president, which you know, but maybe if any, for the one person listening to this that doesn't know that, that was a really, so I was in sixth grade when 9-11 happened, I um, was 18 when Obama ran for president, and I was also 18 when I became a Democrat, I was, I grew up in rural America and was raised by a Republican culture and community, and so it was a radical thing for me and my mom and my grandma, who was 96 or 97, to all vote for Obama as the first Democrat we'd all voted for. And so I'm just really mindful of the difference between your first experience of voting and my first experience of voting. And since then, I've become like Obama is the most important political figure in my life and I have become critical of him and like I've the scales have fallen a little from my eyes of how uh, like flawless I perceived him to be when I was 18 and so I'm interested in being in conversation with two people like you who are going through this with very different perspectives than I had when I was 18 with a a very different opportunity presented before you (laughs) And so I don't have the answer to this. I just am a little bit older than you. (laughs) And that doesn't mean, like, I don't have the experience to fit your current situation for the primary. 
I texted both of you and said, who are you voting for? And then I voted for who you told me to vote for. Because at the time, it was between Elizabeth Warren and Bernie and, I guess, Biden. And um, well, for your, I voted... For your vote, it was not that Biden wasn't in there. Not for the primary. But he was running, I'm just saying. Like, yeah, you know, some well, people yeah. did vote for Biden. Um, <laughs> and I didn't know any of them. Um, but in my world, it was between Warren and, and Bernie. Mm-hmm. And I voted for Bernie because you two both told me, Ari and Julia told me, I think I'm going to vote for Biden, or for Bernie. And so then I was like, okay, that's what I'm going to do. Because I am like totally competent listening to what you two do and doing that in my own life. Then... I would like to say that Sneaky Dan voted for Elizabeth Warren without telling me. So we came I was out on the, the fence until I did it. Like I didn't. <sighs> I guess that that comes down to like my mentality of how this this all works. Like this system is not really representative. Uh, when you get to the general election, I don't think it's representative. You have a fake choice in the end, and it's all yeah. nonsense. But like. I, th- I guess I view the primary as the only potential place where it could be representative and where I want to vote my heart is during the primary. That's the only time when I think we can get somebody different to be on the general election ticket. Instead but let's of- like say, though, that like we like you voted for Elizabeth Warren, knowing that she is deeply capitalist and a white woman yeah. and like had not done a good job of repairing her relationship with native communities and i voted for bernie knowing that he's an old white man who represented still some of the same systems that he like proclaims he wants to tear down Mm. and so i think if anything we have the experience of voting for people that we know are deeply flawed and that we've somehow negotiated that it's still better for us to do that and that's something that i think we can talk about for like hours and hours is like I guess I'm thinking like, what is our intent versus our effect? Like I would, Julia, I was the Green Party president in college for like four years and I've never voted Green Party candidate because I believe in the ideals, the 10 core values of the Green Party, but I've never voted for a Green Party candidate. So that's a very interesting fact. Like why would I have represented that community, have like loved it and, and like tried to reinforce its values in my college community, but I've never voted for a Green Party candidate. I think... It has to do with the, with the effect of what I think my vote is. And there were a lot of people who didn't vote for Hillary Clinton who align more with our values in this little group. And the effect of that part of it, I think, was that Trump was elected because people didn't vote. But that's still, I'm like down to have a conversation with them about how valuable that action was, right? So I'm not like, I'm not here to say that we all have to vote for Biden, but I think that's what I think right now. So, like, I also think beyond that, it's not just about how we view our individual vote. Like, you're not voting Democratic just because you think your vote is going to be, like, the one that changes everything. We believe, like, that the mentality is that's what we live in. And so it has to be, like, everybody kind of thinks this along these lines. Like, the group consensus has to go along a certain way. And I hate that. And I also feel like it's true. So I think there is this idea of like that, like every time I talk to people, I think most most of the people in my life are would identify themselves as like along the left, whether that's like liberal or leftist or, you know, something else. And I also think most of the people in my life, whether or not they intend to vote for Joe Biden are, you know, hold some issues with him. But I think there is this narrative of sort of like, 
we've all agreed that we don't like that we're picking between two people, and yet we continue to do that because there isn't another option. And sort of there's this thing of sort of like, but what else is there? And I, I and you know, I've I've brought up the strike that I'm on a couple of times now. I'll 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 use this to say a little more about that. Um, I'm part of a teen program at the Museum of Contemporary Art in Chicago. That is a group of 24 teen artists and we work to develop like art programming and like education resources for other youth around the city to like get more involved and to like have more access to big spaces and resources. We recently found out that the Museum of Contemporary Art has some ties with the uh, Chicago Police Department yeah. and the Teen Creative Agency, this group I'm a part of, has decided that we are having a work stoppage for our biggest event of the year, which is in uh, a little over a week until the museum announces an intention to dive from the Chicago Police Department, as well as reevaluating the way that they work with um, and, and profit off of black artists and a couple of other things. Mm -hmm. I bring this up, right, not just to like plug myself and the amazing people that I work with, but this for me mm -hmm. is an example of like, you have something that you can withhold and that act of withholding has power, right? And so like voting is an action that as an individual doesn't mean a whole lot, but collectively does, right? I think not voting is sort of the same way that like if I single-handedly am like I'm not going to work on this until the museum changes things and they're just going to be like okay well whatever Ari yeah. but we all decide to do that and now today we're meeting with the museum director right to, to, to actually discuss our demands so I think like in the same vein that like I think the Democratic Party frankly it sort of operates the same way in that it knows because there's this narrative of like vote blue no matter what there's sort of this thing of like we're sort of trapped in that and I think if we were to all collectively say we're not gonna vote right you have to mm -hmm. earn the vote you don't just get it by being part of this party and just by getting this nomination that doesn't mean you've like if you withhold that collectively right that can swing an election that does have power so I almost want like so, like I, I feel yeah. like yeah just like when people sort of talk about oh you you vote as if there's two options because there's two parties I feel like there's really three options right of like you can we can all collectively not vote and that has power mm -hmm. it totally does and here's why so i i'm so for strikes you know i i do think that voting you can't i don't think that striking and voting are, are a good parallel though because like you're talking to two people who voted for a flawed candidate because we voted for hillary much to our chagrin i mean i almost didn't do it i was almost someone who didn't do it and I just think if you look back at the history of the Democratic Party, the people who are like us, who want to be like, well, we want to collectivize our power and make this big statement, it has never served the Democratic Party. It has only served Republicans. And I, there is an, in a national election for president. To come it has worked for some people to elect amazing, radical, leftist people. But in the presidential election, there isn't a time since I've been alive where leftists, where like socialists have actually used that power in a way that, that had a positive effect on their agenda, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I think, I think actually like the 2016 election is a time when people were so moved like that they didn't want to go for Hillary, that they didn't vote for Hillary. And I, I which has, um, Beyond just saying that uh, that Trump got elected, beyond saying that, like in the 2020 election, the Democratic Party has way more progressive values because it knows that it needs to actually um, serve the people that felt they weren't served by the Democratic Party. So they're like, this is the most progressive platform that the Democratic Party has ever served. Um, yeah. And but, I think like Ari, you're so right to always be disappointed when 
Like, we should always divest ourselves completely from things that we think are immoral. We should always do that. I think that some, the, maybe something that I have experience with that um, you don't have experience with, but I'm consenting to learn in public and be wrong by the end of this, is that there are some things you opt out of completely and there are some things you participate in. And so for what your, your strike is absolutely what should be happening. I think the Presbyterian Church should absolutely divest from the Israeli military. I think like there are so many examples of ways that you should totally take yourself out. And then there are other examples of ways that you have to work within the system. And it, it takes time and community to tell you the wisdom of which ones you operate within and which ones you operate without. Like healthcare, I would like to abolish insurance, um, but we have a national insurance system with Obamacare. I would like to abolish the police, but what I have tried to do in the last couple of weeks is to work with campaign zero, like to promote campaign zero's goals with the eight uh, things we could get that holds police accountable. You know, my end goal is to abolish a lot of these systems, but part of the work is sometimes to work within the system, and part of the work is to burn down the bridge, and. We have to we have to figure out what how many people want to burn down the bridge with us, and if it's not enough people, then we have to work within the system. And I think based on what happened when Trump was elected, we found out we didn't have enough people who wanted to burn down the bridge. Like I think we think that there are more people who want to do this, and only because we're now Dan and I are in Silicon Valley, do I find out that like, oh, the eighteen year old in my youth group freaking voted for Biden. I can't, com I can't conceive, but I, it was like right after I had talked to you and I was like, it was your first vote. Who did you vote for? And then they said Biden and I, my head exploded. I had no conception that an 18 year old would vote for Biden. I think that's part of our bubbles that we don't understand. Like, Oh, we're not like in the majority here. The things we're trying to do are not actually being done by other people around us. And that, that my head explodes when I realize those things, but that is true. Mm -hmm. But I don't say that, I say that as a strategy. I'm not saying it to be like, oh, it's not like you don't know, it's not gonna work. Like I'm saying, I think what's the most strategic thing to do? And I, I think right now for voting, the most strategic thing is to get someone like Biden in office because I think the alternative is Trump, and that's right now what I think the strategy is, and I'm I am here to be convinced otherwise. I guess my yeah, other I think that sort of I guess gets to my other thing, which is like I'm gonna approach this from from my identities, which is as like a white masculine person, and like the effects on Trump on on like me have been radically different than they are on a lot of other people. I also have been reflecting a lot recently on sort of like, I was a freshman in high school when Trump was elected. That was a really like scary and hard thing. Um, and that was really frustrating to go through. Um, I also think that that experience really radicalized me and a lot of my peers in a way that I think like you're talking about how the scales fell from your eyes with Obama, right? I think in 2008, I was like, oh my God, this is the dude. There is nothing yeah. ever wrong with this person and there will never be anything wrong with him and he's perfect. And then yeah. in 2012, I think I felt the same way. And in 2016, right, when I think I was very much in the in a place of like, oh, Clinton is, you know, she's got her problems, but Trump's so much worse. And then like, I, I feel like since Trump's gotten elected, I've gotten more critical not only of Trump, but like that that's really pushed me to also be critical of people on the left, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not... I'm not saying that to say that, like, and I think that's also been the experience of, like, frankly, a lot of my peers. I'm not saying that to be, like, it, 
getting Trump elected is better than Clinton getting elected because frankly I don't think I have like I don't think that's a fair call to make on either way mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but I will say that like I I cannot say with confidence that I would be like anti-capitalist and anti-racist in the ways that I am if there had been like another like moderate or you know conservative but democrat mm -hmm. president right because I think I would have just mm -hmm. continued to like maybe go along that bandwagon so so I guess my th my thing with that is you know when we're talking about like well Biden's better than Trump I almost that does almost make me wonder like if Biden is elected does that just mean that everyone who's sort of middle class and upper middle class white folks for whom Biden meets a lot of their needs does that mean that we all just tap out? I don't know. I think, yeah, I, yes. I think, I think, yes, I think some people will do that. And I think that I'm not sure that those people were really making that much of a difference if it took Trump to radicalize them. I really admire that you're not saying like, let's imagine if Hillary was was president because like that is let's just deal with what's in front of us yeah i don't, <laughs> yes, I don't think yes, that's yes. i don't think and it's I, helpful i think we game. can't tell but so maybe let's not do that about like the white moderate either i i'd like to call them the white liberals at this point i think it's not even moderate it's like the church that i'm at right now so it's amy cooper you know it's like people who think that they are democrats or who are democrats and who don't care about <laughs> essential workers until they're in a pandemic and I'm not positive nothing about what I know about about life I'm 30 um has shown me that the people who are writing notes to their post workers right now to say thank you are going to care about them whenever shelter in place is lifted I don't I have no expectation that that's going to happen I don't know I've never been in a pandemic before so I don't know what changes societies like a pandemic Part of this is I do feel like we need to criticize Biden a lot. I would love to spend, can we just spend some time criticizing Biden? Because Dan is equipped and ready to do this. And I don't want it to, like, we have huge issues with him. And mm. part of this is I want to talk to two people that are 18 to convince me to do this because I feel like icky and gross about doing this. So Dan, could you please um, just roll on through Joe Biden and everything that disappoints us about him? Yeah, I mean, to start, I don't, there's not a single thing about Joe Biden that excites me. Like, as a candidate, he's nothing to me. He is a person that exists and is going to get the nomination in my mind. Like, so he is, he's a person that would be better than Trump. That's, that's what I've got right now in support of him. Against him, like, he's, has such a history of being, like, problematic in every vote. Like, not every vote, but, like, in, in all of his like policies and all of his the way that he communicates with the public like what he's known for is gaffes he's known for like or at least in recent years he's known for gaffes and known for being like weird being kind of a weird dude yeah um he has like an uncomfortable touching relationship with most most women of essentially every age and it's yeah not it's clearly in a like not setting not a a like an uncomfortable thing he does with everyone it is an uncomfortable thing he does with women which you know speaks to speaks to something has he ever really dealt with the repercussions of his actions in like the 90s how he has voted in terms of like the drug bill or his treatment of anita hill like he's mm -hmm. commented on them but i don't i i don't get the sense that he's like really reckoned with it mm -hmm. i just get the feeling that he is running to be president because he can win not because he believes he has something unique to offer and that 
is really gross to me. I have a lot of comments on Joe Biden, and I really don't like him, and I don't really understand why people do. I want to be convinced that I should like him, and I, do, I want to be, like, publicly vocal for him because I want him, well, I want Trump to lose. That's the main thing, and that's what Biden's running on, is he, can, mm -hmm. he believes that he will beat Trump. And I guess that's part of what feels different for me, is, like, maybe that's the other thing, is that, like, again, in retrospect, I get, um... Hillary Clinton is a deeply problematic person. Bernie Sanders is a deeply problematic person. Elizabeth mm -hmm. Warren is. I mean, most mm -hmm. mo many major politicians are. Those ones are no exception to that. But it, it it felt to me, even though I you know pretty fundamentally disagreed with them on some level, that they like w were running out of a sense of like feeling like they actually like had a thing that they could bring or like had a platform versus Joe Biden is just so clearly not even like under the surface that's always right like his campaign is just like it's me or it's Trump and when you look at his responses when people will will criticize him and you know they'll say what about Tara Reid and he says if you believe Tara Reid you should vote for you shouldn't vote for me or like you should vote for Trump or people will be like hey you support ICE and he'll be like well you should support well then vote for Trump right like he's he's openly saying that to people right yeah. and and just very vocally running on this thing and and to me that feels like frankly not not a even a breach of like his his policies themselves but a breach of like principle that mm -hmm. i feel mm -hmm. really uncomfortable like rewarding that yeah i mean it's a far cry from the hope narrative that obama ran on and won on it, well and it's yeah. insulting well but i think that's from us as ide ideologically based folks and that is not how everybody votes. So it does seem ridiculous to us. Like, we want to know what he stands for. But for many people, it's as simple as, like, which person do they want to have dinner with? That is a reality for many voters. I don't want to have dinner with him either. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I just to say that, like, the thing about having principles is then you can kind of negotiate with someone based on those. And mm -hmm. you can kind of show them how their principles serve whatever you want to convince them about. Like, there's, there's more to work with, I guess. Like, when J.B. Pritzker ran for governor, I was like, ew. Like, remember, he was at Pride, and, and I, like, flipped him off, and Ari was like, why are you doing that? And I was like, he's terrible, he's a billionaire, he's just running because he can. And, like, I've actually thought he has been a good governor, and that could be because we had a rounder before, so that's all I have as a frame of reference. But, like, I think he's been doing a pretty good job, and he's been um, pushing a very progressive agenda, and for mm -hmm. me, I I thought that him being a billionaire would leave him out of touch and mean that he didn't care about anybody. The thing, the policies he's actually pushing are things that I want to see happen in our state. And so that that was kind of a thing. Because I remember, like, in one of my classes, we were having a debate about whether, like, politicians, like, but whether Bernie being a millionaire was, like, a conflict with, like, his, how he would act as a, an elected official. And just, mm -hmm. like, for me, having J.B. Pritzker as governor has kind of complicated my idea of how, like, your personal identity can affect your, um, the policies that you pursue and the way that you represent people. Um, not to say that he is every, I agree with everything he's done. Um, I was just surprised that the things he's passing are things that I actually like mm -hmm. a lot of the time. Yeah, I mean, maybe we don't need Biden to be a trailblazer. He's clearly not. 
maybe we just need him to actually respond to the voting population and in some in a lot of ways i think he actually does that in order to like make himself more electable because that's all he wants is to be elected as far as i can see that's all he wants yeah because Um, he has no policies really he's it's he's more movable to be he can to be moved more to the left so like he'll he'll pass progressive bills if they if they make their way through um congress he'll pass them so Maybe we don't need him to initiate everything in the world. It would be great if we had somebody who did do that, but maybe we I'd don't like to have a president that decreases the harm. Like I, I just feel like I feel like our country is so harmful right now. I'd like to decrease the harm, but I also don't want to. I, I know that mm. that Biden's still going to harm people. Yeah, I, I read an sinister. article. I'll see if I can find it, so that if you know if this does get posted, you can link it by a native person who was saying that like the language of harm reduction and like that particular phrase which is you know used mainly around um people uh uh, and like drug abuse where harm reduction is about like providing people like safe and sterile equipment and like spaces to Mm -hmm. use drugs with the idea of like this is still not a good substance to be putting into your body but you are doing it in a way that it will that it's not going to kill you right um Mm -hmm. and yes but the person was saying that's not what's going on here, right? Oh, tell me. Because and and so then they were saying like this narrative seems really great of like this is harm reduction, right? You're voting for the candidate uh-huh. that's less bad and like it's still bad in some ways, but it's not going to kill you. And their point was, especially they were speaking as a native person, as being like my land is still being occupied no matter who's president, right? Yeah. yeah. My yes. Like and and my people are being denied like things we need to survive no matter who's president. So there's certain groups. I think they were speaking to Native people in particular that get overlooked pretty much no matter who's president, right? So their mm-hmm. point is there isn't a harm reduction candidate for me. So it might be yeah, harm reduction. Yeah. So it yeah. might be harm reduction. I, I mean, it makes so much sense for a Native person to not participate in voting, of course. So their, their point was just like, for this might feel like harm reduction for you. The phrase they use is mm-hmm. it's harm redirection, right? Is you And, and what, you, what you're doing is you're not, you're not actually minimizing harm. You're just putting it in mm-hmm. places where you can't see it this is still hurting people and then you're choosing just to hurt people that aren't you right mm-hmm. and two that like y- it it makes it it makes it even harder for us to fight because then you believe that you and me are on the same side right where mm-hmm. you're like oh well you mm-hmm. and biden are on the same side because you both hate trump where it's like no we're actually like like you are against biden and you're against trump right and and mm-hmm, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. sort of demanding that kind of radical change you can't like, like you, you have to reject the narrative that, like, because we both hate Trump, that means that we're on the same side. Yeah, I mean, I, I really don't think like Biden and Trump are on the same level. Like, they are not the same type of person. They are not fighting for the same types of things. Like, I, I hear that, and I absolutely want to push back on Biden. I absolutely want to push back on the systems in place which are going to continue to disenfranchise people and like really harm communities especially communities of color especially indigenous communities but i also i am stuck on the fact that trump is so much worse than like anybody else i think like and that's that's for me personally that's not necessarily true for indigenous communities like biden is probably Mm -hmm. going to be about as bad for native communities Mm -hmm. but there are so many other communities which suffer from a trump presidency that like it is not harm reduction for native communities but it is harm reduction for some communities. We want to be clear that our voting 
doesn't end when we cast our ballot, but our voting then continues to hold accountable whoever we vote into office. So like the only thing that I posted publicly about Hillary was I'm going to vote for her and I can't wait at the time when I thought she was going to win to wake up tomorrow when I was actually sobbing in, in a sleeping bag at her defeat. <laughs> Um, I can't wait to wake up tomorrow and hold her accountable because she's she was one of the worst candidates you could possibly have for Israel at the time. And so I felt really, really conflicted about voting for her. I felt like it was like unethical that I did it, but then I still negotiated that I thought it was the best thing for me to do. So I think part of this has to do with how do we continue our interaction with who we vote for after they're elected and hold them accountable. Um, so so I think it's like, it it makes sense to say that participating in a voting system that occupies the land of native people continually without honoring any treaties is never going to be ethical for our relationship with indigenous communities and if we participate in voting we can continue to hold our voted official like voted in officials accountable and try to like work for reparations at the day after the election like the part of this is about like voting is not the last thing we do it's hard to say these things in general to kind of like sorry native people like this thing that i'm doing is not gonna work to like uplift you at all and just like that's that's hard too yeah i mean i'm i'm going to continue to live on stolen land though like i i recognize that discomfort with the specific action of voting but also we do that every day there are things we live yeah, with and we yeah. don't think about every single day and that's not good um i'm not sure how exactly we we deal with every action we do um but like voting is one part of the system and we have to do other things in order to try and like mitigate the harm that we're causing simply by living on stolen land it it feels different to me to to like live on stolen land or to like participate in capitalism than to vote. Like those feel like two action, different like kinds of actions in that like, there's some things that like you do actually have to do if you have a body in order to like continue living, right? In that like, you know, you're living on stolen land, you do have to live on some land at some point. That doesn't mean that that's okay, right? And, and you could move, but like you do need to continue existing on some piece of land at some point. So it's like like doing things out of a sense of like, I need to do this to continue to sustain myself and to continue to sustain myself like on this fight versus like voting, which feels like not like, like a thing that a lot of people don't do and continue to exist just fine. Yeah, and I think you, like we're participating in a democracy and you can choose to vote or not vote, you're still participating. We live in a democracy, we live in a capitalist system, we live on stolen land, and that's the air that we breathe. And so you're always participating with all of it. It's just, how are you participating? And I have, I think at this point, well, I know at this point that I haven't heard an argument that leads me to believe it would be better for me not to vote. I haven't heard that, you know? I don't, I haven't, I've heard why it's problematic, and I agree, and I second it. <laughs> But I haven't heard the second paragraph where it says, and here is what you should do that is less harmful than voting. I've just heard and concurred with the fact that it is harmful and complicated and that it has a lot of uh, like mixed outcomes in it. But I mean, but there it's still are participating also... participating in democracy by not voting. 
and it's it, still participating in democracy by not having a vote. I mean, like that's what democracies are. They're like some people don't have, they aren't enfranchised, and that's still part of democracy. You know? Yeah. I just I think it's still participating even if you don't vote. Is what I'm trying to say, and I haven't figured out. I haven't decided that that's the better option. That's fair. I I, I can appreciate that. I think the way we view it, I mean, there is a sort of defeatism is in it, but we. I think we try and do stuff outside of voting. We try and be activists outside of like participating in democracy because we view democracy as deeply, deeply flawed. Um, it is a system we participate in, but it is not the only thing we do. We do try and institute change by like listening to folks who are doing things outside of it, trying to raise up voices that are less than heard in government, um, especially. I think if you're talking about, like, action, though, that's, like, not not participating is an action and participating is an action, um, or, like, not participating is still participating, I guess. Especially, and especially I mean that for people who have a vote. Like, I think that's why yeah. it's important, because there are folks that live in this country who can't vote. And so think, to have the right to vote and not vote, I think it should be counted as a participation one thing, one thing that just happened at the church we're currently at is that they voted to be affirmative of the LGBTQ community. And before that, they had voted not to vote on it. But that is a vote. Yeah. Oof. Um, I guess what I, like, I'm thinking about the work that, like, activist work that isn't t- tied to, like, getting specific people elected. Like, even just, like, organizing at protests and... and donating to bail funds and things like, like, I don't know, try, like, there, it feels like there's other actions you can take that are political that aren't voting for a candidate, and so I guess I'm, I feel Mm -hmm. more inclined to take those actions. I think that it does more harm to having progressive candidates to not vote, and maybe this is, maybe I'm wrong, but I think in the presidential election, we have, like, years and years of, um, of this happening, right, Dan? Or is this just, like, an MSNBC thing that I've gotten from your family? I mean, I, I think it's true. I continue to vote because I think that it matters to vote and it matters to convince other people to vote. I think we, we have similar views on it. But why do we I have can't... that view, I think, is what I want to know. Um, because because all of society or... says that we're supposed to vote. Um, it says that voting is important and also, like... I don't even know if it's a majority, but like a majority of um, people in the Democratic Party are going to say like you have to vote Democratic or else you're voting other. I mean, I think both parties do it, but we live in a two party system and maybe that's propaganda. There isn't a viable third option. Nobody's getting more than 5% of the vote. I'm not sure. Like, but the thing is, like, there's so much frustration with that. and I hear so much frustration with that. And so then it feels I think you said defeatist, Dan, and I I think I agree to like sort of be like oh well like or sort of expect that like you know we all we can all agree that a two-party system sucks right and it like just it it continues to allow for more harm to happen because then there's less accountability right because then you get this thing of like oh well then just vote for the other guy right because there's one other guy right um and i sort of i i question then like if we're also upset about it i'm sort of like so then then how do we like then we should change that and like how are we going to change that by electing people from those parties that benefit from having a two-party system? Democrats and Republicans both benefit from there only being Democrats and Republicans, like, effectively mm-hmm. in terms of who gets yeah. elected. Yes. Yeah. So, like, how is electing yes. people in those positions going to act? Like, that doesn't actually address the thing that we're fundamentally frustrated by. The thing is, we're fundamentally frustrated by it, but that doesn't mean 
a majority of the country is fundamentally frustrated by it. So like in order to really change the system, we need a constitutional amendment to change the system, at least for president. I'm not sure for Senate and for Congress, but like there is more there's more leeway with Congress to actually get third party candidates for the president. It's either or. I'm not sure how we could change that at a fundamental level in this country. Well, we also have power over those officials, like, to hold them accountable, like Addie was saying, and so that's why we call them and write letters and lobby mm-hmm. them, because they are scared of losing our votes, and mm-hmm. we can kind of leverage that. And it, I mean, obviously, having the electoral system we have, there are ways that constituents have power within it, but that does, that does require a ton of work on our part. A ton of engagement. My response to that is one in terms of the party thing. Like again, like I, th- you know, even in thing, even if you take out presidency, right, and you go to smaller offices, I think there's still a level of like, I don't know what it would mean to elect a Democrat or a Republican that was like, yeah, I don't want a two party system because like ultimately no one's gonna run, like no one's gonna actively vote for something that's gonna like take away their power in like like that dramatically, mm-hmm. right. Not that people don't make votes that, you know, sometimes act, like, altruistically or do take away some of their power, but I think that's, like, a level of it that's, like, again, so also critical to their career that it, I, I, I don't know that that would, like, I, I question that. Then also, I think you're right that there's this level of, like, when you vote for someone, right, and you, you sort of, like, commit yourself to them as a, like, candidate, then you have the power to write to them and sort of be like, I voted for you, I'm trying to hold you accountable. But then I sort of want, like, 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 your leverage then comes from essentially the fact of, like, I did vote for you, and I might not, right? Or sort of, like, there's that mm-hmm. end, because if it's mm-hmm. the, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I voted for you, and I'm just going to keep voting for you because there's no one else, which I sort of feel like is where we're at. And so I, I do feel like if there's, like, if your goal is, like, I'm going to vote for this person, and then I have the power to hold them accountable, you only have the power to hold them accountable if you're actually willing to follow through on that thing, which is, I won't vote for you next time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that happens. That That is, that does happen, though. Mm-hmm. And that will happen with Joe Biden. There will be people who either he will satisfy the, their progressive agenda, or they won't vote for him. So he's in this right now. He knows that. I think it, I, I just want to say again that voting is a strategy. It's not the goal. It's, it's a strategy among a web of strategies, and it's a tactic that we think benefits the goal. And, and I, I get what you're saying about, like, people aren't going to vote themselves out of power, but, like, what if we had a Democratic Socialist who was going to be a Democratic nominee? You know, that, like, people can get their way in a little bit and then it transforms itself over time or we have a revolution where people where we like kill each other i think i think right like i don't i don't see how how the powers are are i think the powers are overturned incrementally or through a revolution that usually will harm um the people trying to have the revolution more than the people of power in power but maybe that's me being like an either or isolating things into the worst of the worst but what what do you think how do we change this if we don't vote other than like what is because i picture like (laughs) what's going on right now people are getting harmed and people's narratives are being hijacked and um and like the entire issue is being dissolved into some ridiculous lie (laughs) that distracts from 
the reason people are in the streets in the first place. I mean, honestly, I, 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 you know, when I've, I've been out on the, when I have been out protesting and things like that, I feel a lot more power in those situations Mm -hmm. than I have ever Mm -hmm. felt at any, like, politician's, like, speech or campaign trail. I feel more solidarity, like, among those groups as a, as a queer person than I've ever felt at, like, seeing J.B. Pritzker at Pride, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so I think for me, it's that thing of, like, I feel like I have the most power as an individual when I am out on the, like, when I am out on the street and when I am with other people and where we are saying that, like, this is something I believe in so strongly that I am willing to give up, like, compromise my physical safety, right? Yeah. And in order to, to, to say this. Yes, 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 yes. And I, like, I felt, I, I would just talked in therapy this morning about when I interrupted Mike Pence and, like, had my body dragged out of a huge assembly hall. And I, you know, that was really meaningful for me. And I hope it was meaningful for, our vacuum's trying to come in. Um, I hope it, I mean, I think it was part of the movement, but I also think that voting, that, like, writing about, um, like, writing about how, Kufi and APAC are huge lobbyists for Israel to my, I, th- I don't think they give me the same spiritual nourishment. I don't think they make me feel connected to my community. I don't think they make me feel like I'm like really putting myself in, in the, the movement for Palestinians, but I think it's still a strategy. It's, it's still a meaningful strategy to, to, to participate in politics in that way and to be dragged out of an assembly hall. I think that both of those things are i th- i think right now that both of those things are part are, are like ha- all have to be done at the same time because some people will be convinced by someone being pulled out of a building and some people will be convinced by a letter which is bonkers and some people <laughs> will be convinced by mass protests because the urgency overwhelms and uh, capitalism is threatened that makes me think of the um there's this uh, uh map this like role mapping thing uh that that's been sort of floating around i've seen it a couple of times before but it's been like really circulating around like snapchat and instagram in my circles of like um mapping your role in like creating radical change just just recognizing that like we all we all have different roles and like based on our skills which like seems like an obvious thing but it's not because there's so much narrative of like everyone needs to be in the streets and then some people are like everyone needs to be at home and there's sort of this narrative of like we all need to be doing the same things right um and i i think sort of the 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 goal of that is being like actually you as a person have like a special set of skills that like like make you good at serving your community in these ways yeah and you know i don't know if i've said this recently to you but you know i like to use the phrase speak sweetly like you want to you want to speak in a way that people will be brought in by in in some as some strategies you want to speak in a way that people are like ooh, that's sweet i like that (laughs) and so that you are heard well as as white folk talking to white folk speak sweetly bring people in yeah i was gonna say i'm not sure that's always i don't think that's a that's a fair narrative to like put on other people because i think a lot of times that yeah sorry dan i'm I'm interrupting you you should go no yeah that's yeah yeah i just think that I'm, right now, I have to talk to people who literally don't listen to me when I say some things the way that I would normally say them. So I'm trying to figure out, like, is there a way I could say this differently that you would actually hear me? 
I suppose for our listeners, I should say I'm not white folk. I'm mixed race folk. I'm Asian, uh, and I'm talking to my Asian family about things. So I'm also yeah. trying to speak sweetly, but not too sweetly, because I think they need to do more. I, I don't know. I've been getting real frustrated by speaking sweetly, and I know that comes from a position of a lot of privilege, but like, I've sort of been feeling a lot of that frustration of just being like, I feel like when I try to speak sweetly, the people are like, yeah, we're saying the same things. And I'm like, no, we're not. Oh, I do not feel that way here. <laughs> I mean, I like, almost, I feel like I'm one more thing away from getting fired here. <laughs> well, just like, I, so either I can get fired and never talk to these people again, or I can change the way that I talk so that they hear the thing that I deeply feel they need to hear. <laughs> I just, I don't know. I feel right, like, Dan? I feel like, even this thing with like I don't know our principal has been kind of acting up a little bit but she like has been giving us these like little weekly this is on the internet I'm gonna say it well we're allowed to talk about it because she put it on the internet if she didn't want people to hear it she wouldn't have put it on the internet um it's on YouTube um she'd make these little like weekly update videos where she's like you know guys we all like there's good people on on and there's good and bad people on both sides and like these police officers they're not all bad there's just a few bad apples like she literally said she doesn't say that because half the students at the school have police parents but okay well and because we're right next to a freaking police academy that like on multiple occasions like i just frankly a police academy that has been not doing a lot of good for the school this year we've had a number of times that like the police academy has been having drills where they use firearms and like we hear gunshots and then everyone in the school is like there's a school shooting and we all go in lockdown right and like or kids will see police officers like running drills right with guns outside and they're like oh my god there's someone with a gun and then the school freaks out and then we're like oh and so also when all those cops came into our school because they're like air something like was wrong in the building so they all just like came and sat in our theater that was weird. I wish to watch all of these people walk, walk past in our safe space. And so, like, our school has a very problematic relationship with police in general. Um, mm-hmm. We go to Whitney Young Magnet High School, and it's right next <laughs> to a police academy. Like, that's sort of an issue of, like, I feel like, I don't know, in, in whenever I've tried to talk to Dr. Kenner about things in the past, and I feel like if I tried to talk to her about this, where I'd be like, police brutality is bad, and she's like, police brutality is bad, and then she, like, thinks we're saying the same thing, but we're not saying the same thing, because we're coming at that from two very different mm-hmm. perspectives. And so, mm-hmm. and that's and that, that would be me as a yeah. white person talking to a black person, but I also feel like when I'm talking to my family, it's sort of a similar thing of, like, mm-hmm. th- th- when I speak, when I try to speak sweetly and, like, call people in, then people think that I'm just, like, creating an echo chamber where we're all saying the same things. Does that make sense? Okay. Mm-hmm. It totally does, and I'm now, like, transported back to Chicago, and I totally get what you're saying, because there is, like, a we're-all-together progressives vibe in Chicago. And it's, like, it's like who do we... Like, I remember earlier uh, in 2016, it was, like, who do we want to root for, Hillary or Bernie? And there was no talk about any Trump. It was just, like, we're all progressives together. I totally get what you're saying. I think here... We, Dan and I are talking, we are outsiders. Everybody thinks that we're unicorns and we, and so anything that we say, people are already, at least for me in my professional environment, I I feel like people are like, who is she going to say now? And so if I can, if I can at least say something that they don't feel totally so threatened by, but they can't listen to me, then that is, that is actually like 
I need to get over my ego and work towards the strategy of speaking. I'm using it as a strategy, not as a prescription for people, because I don't think that that should be something um, that is like something everybody does. But I think I have learned by being here for around nine months that sometimes I say things in a way that people straight up won't listen to me and they will actually just leave the entire community. <laughs> and so that results in, in people not being in the conversation anymore. And that's been, that's been something I'm negotiating with myself is when do I want to say things the way that I'd like, I, I, I just don't say things the way that I'd like to anymore because people stop listening to me. Yeah. And I think this might reflect a little bit about you two also, Julia and Ari, that you like find yourself immersed around a lot of progressives that you're often like, hey, that's not actually progressive enough. But like in other communities, there are people who are like straight up not progressive. You know what I'm saying? Like, like the first time we ever saw a Trump sign was when we went back to my hometown of 2000 people in rural America. And it was for our wedding. And I was thinking, like, could they please put those signs away because my friends from Chicago are coming. <laughs> and and so now we're, like, we find ourselves also outside of that, like, liberal bastion of where uh, you all are being raised and formed, where the argument is between, like, oh, well, we're, we're all against Trump, but, like, what does that mean? <laughs> and over here, we're, like, actually talking to some people that we don't even know what their ideology is. And that is maybe something to think about in terms of like when you nationalize your work and don't just localize it to Chicago that your narrative might have to change about how you speak about your beliefs and how you use your body and how you communicate what you believe you know I guess I just feel I feel very torn and I want to sit with that feeling and I want to let myself sit with that because I think trying to just like like, I'm not expecting to come into this trying to, like, get someone to pat me on the back, right? Like, is that's not really how change happens. And I'm not sure I'm going to come out of this. I, don't, I think no matter what I do, you said you feel icky. I think I'm going to feel icky if I vote. I think I'm going to feel icky if I don't vote. I don't think that there's a way that I come out of this feeling uh, like, I've, like I haven't compromised something. And I guess I'd say that that is a familiar feeling to me. As someone who's been in this fight for a long time, especially around Palestinians, it is that you feel icky. Yeah, I hope people feel icky voting. Like, I I think even if I had voted for Bernie or Warren, there would still be a a healthy amount of ick to feel. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's kind of, you know, it's a really frustrating thing about being kind of radical and wanting to change society. is that you're, you you have like if you are really thinking about things then you kind of always feel a bit icky and the people who aren't thinking about the things don't feel that icky mm-hmm. and they get to just chill and i don't know i that it's a hard line to, it's a hard like line to cross over into like being willing to like feel really terrible about stuff i don't know. i feel like intellectually i should be out here like really pushing that we need to vote for him vote for biden because like i i believe that the two-party system is how things work so i i really feel like i should be out here pushing and like raising up his praise but i can't i haven't been able to bring myself to do it i can't get past who he is as a person so i'm just out here being like i guess this is what we'll do i'm pretty sure i'm gonna do that i don't know if i can really convince other people I don't, I don't know if I can tell other people that they should mm. vote for yeah. them. 
Um, what did you do to resist the white supremacist heteronormative patriarchy this week, my friends? Um, I was asked as part of this new pro project program that I'm starting, uh, who my heroes were, and I raised up women of color in science. And that was just a small thing, but just want to raise up women of color in science because so underrepresented and face so much, so much on every level of challenge and people constantly asking more of women in color than of anybody else. Um, I talked to my best friend who's black and is like struggling a lot with like, she doesn't feel like motivated to like be a v very much of an activist in this movement. And mm -hmm. I was like, it's okay to like being black is like what you're doing already. And you don't have mm -hmm. to do more. You don't have to fight to like for these things. And like there mm -hmm. are people fighting and we need to. But, like, it's not your job to do so much work so that you can live. So, like, kind of, she said it was helpful to hear that, like, from someone who is pretty active, that it's not her responsibility to be. So, I was really glad that we had that conversation, and I'm hoping that she feels better about it. I have been selling prints to and matching donations to the Chicago Community Bond Fund. Um, currently, we've raised almost $350, which is 700 once I match it, um, which feels pretty awesome. And then also the strike that I'm working on. I feel very honored to like be able to use my work as like an artist in two different ways um, to like serve my community. I think art is often a field where people get very like this is me and it gets a very like I don't know a lot of fields are kind of like me, me, me fields but I think art is at least in my experience also has a tendency to be like a me me, me kind of feel field mm -hmm. um and so it feels good to make and use my platform as an artist to like do something that that is is not about me um I'll ask my question now what is something you have been doing to be kind to yourself and then I'm going to clarify, because they always make me do the clarification on this one, that um, this teacher, I love them so much. I got to see them today and they were really happy. Um, that something kind, it cannot be something that's like taking care of a baseline need. So I can't be like, I ate lunch and that's kind, because it's like you have to do that to keep yourself alive. And it also cannot be something that serves, that you're doing like in service of other people. Um, which is also, yeah, I know, I see I see you reacting to that, Julia, and I also reacted the same way, but I've been working on this for three months now because they told me at the start of quarantine and I had to start doing this, so I've been working on it for, like, three months, um, and I am getting, maybe getting better at it. I don't know, I feel like I've been worse the last few weeks. I've been really struggling, but um, I'm, I'm trying to get better at it. I can start with that one, or we can have someone else start. Do it. Um, today, or this week, my kind thing has been, um, shaving my neck beard, because sometimes it grows out because I get really depressed, and then I'm like, I don't deserve basic things that make my body feel good, and then I let my neck beard grow out, and then I'm like, oh, wow, I'm so gross, and I don't deserve to change that, and then this week I've been really consistent about, like, shaving my neck beard and lining up my beard every day, and that makes me feel happy and gender affirmed, and I deserve to feel those things. That's my thing. I love it. I how love do, it. How do we snap in a, in a podcast? We do it. 
Do it. Does it work? Or does it... We've been doing it. I mean, I, I get for a Zoom call, like, you do that, but, like, for podcasts. I guess we should do it audibly. Yeah. Snap, 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 snap. <laughs> Half of my kind things are, like, making my... Are, like, cleaning my room-esque things, and a half of them are, like personal hygiene things so the two areas in my life yeah. where I struggle typically anyway yeah me too um, right. can uh someone else I've been eating Addie's chocolate um because I enjoy it and keeps away the dementors mm-hmm. I haven't been like a dessert person for at least a decade but I'm enjoying eating this chocolate as a little treat it is super sweet. He comes up, he'll come over to me and be like, want a piece of chocolate? <laughs> and then he comes over and And we neither of us are sweet too, but we do feel like it's like, yes, thank you, Lupin. <laughs> okay, here's one. I have been doing virtual boba with the youth leader, which means that I get boba and then I also deliver it via Grubhub, which sucks, to, um, to the person's house. And then we have a one-on-one and we just can talk about whatever we want to talk about and I this um, and I had three of them scheduled and it, it helps to have me get something so that we feel like we're together but usually I'm like pretty skimpy with whatever I get for myself but I had three scheduled back to back over lunch and so I bought myself a bento box and a boba mm. and I feel good about that I had enough food I know it's basically feeding but it was a treat because I could have is that okay I felt kind to myself with that. I, um, instead of studying for my finals on Monday night, I gave myself a ballet class because I have been kind of struggling with my relationship to dance lately, so I'm not really dancing a lot right now. Like, I was every day for, like, two months, and now I'm like, "Mm, Mm -hmm. And, um, I just hadn't exercised all day, and my body felt really bad, and I spent all day just glued to Twitter feeling, like, so agitated about the protests and everything you know what a time for you to join twitter julia i know um it's great it's great because i get to see resources and share them with people but um yeah it's a lot of information and i was like i should study for my finals and i was like you know it's probably gonna be fine and so at like 11 o'clock i started my ballet class and then the finals were like not like i i'm so glad i didn't waste time studying and i just let my body move and do something that's very familiar without trying to criticize its shortcomings. I love it. This podcast is recorded on Ohlone and Potawatomi and Miami and Peoria land. Our producer is Sonia Berg. Want to support them? Look in the episode description to buy them a cup of coffee. Our logo is made by Julia's sister, Sophia. She is 12 and a Democrat who doesn't agree with everything the Democrats stand for. Our theme song is by some TikTok users that I cannot pronounce, but they will be listed in our episode description.